My name is Sarah Inglis, and I'm a certified integrative health coach. I help people thrive in their bodies and reclaim the health they've always wanted. Each week, I interview people who have a passion for health. You'll hear from health experts, farmers, herbalists, doctors, chefs, and many more. My hope is that they'll inspire us all to tune into our gut and notice how lifestyle and food impact us. Danny Trafone is a meditation and breathwork instructor living in San Diego, California. He specializes in short form exercises designed to introduce people to the simplicity and effectiveness of meditation and breathwork. He publishes free exercises every day on his TikTok and Instagram platform at The One Minute Meditation. You can find his podcast, Breathe and Think Better, on every podcasting platform. He also runs the Breathe and Think Better Substack, where you can find all of his content in one place, including podcasts, videos, guided exercises, articles, and more. His brand new 30-day course designed specifically for beginners is now available via the link in his Instagram bio. Welcome, Danny, to Nip It in the Gut. I'm so pleased to have this opportunity to be speaking with you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm, I'm really grateful to be here, and I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. And I tell you, the, the topic is very timely for me in particular. <laughs> I know we all go through different transitions in our, our personal and professional lives, and I'm definitely at one of those right now. So I'm really eager to learn from you today. <laughs> When that when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and I don't not that not that I am the teacher, but I find that a lot of a lot of times when I start to talk about meditation or educate people on it, they're like, "This is the perfect time. I need this right now." <laughs> That's true. So tell me, especially for me as well as for the audience, I'm I'm curious what provoked you or made you want to learn more or start practicing meditation and breath work or did one come before the other i know they're so integrated but yes for me it was it was kind of a two-step journey and the uh the first step of that journey was my first experiences with anxiety and panic attacks and this was in my early 20s so i'm 33 now so about 10 years ago anxiety runs in my family but i never experienced it and i didn't I oftentimes my sister would talk about her panic attacks, her anxiety, and I just I didn't really understand that at the time. And then for whatever reason, at that point in my life, I started to go through these experiences and it would be, you know, a racing heart rate, feeling like I couldn't breathe, racing thoughts. And it really affected my ability to focus on my work, to focus in general, to even get out of bed and do everyday things. It was it was a very difficult experience. And it kind of culminated in this, this huge panic attack that I actually had to go to the hospital for because I thought I was dying. People talk about that all the time, how they, they feel like that. And I, I understand that now. And uh, so I, I went to the hospital. I thought there was something physically wrong with me. You know, they ran every test in the world on me. And the doctor just looked at me and said, hey, you're one of the healthiest people I've ever seen. You know, you're, which it, that was great to hear, but he just said, you have anxiety. It was an anxiety attack. And that just, 
it was so like eye opening to me that that it could have that such a profound effect physically on my body. And so after that experience, one of the best things I ever did in my life was start therapy. And I had this wonderful therapist. Her name was Deborah, and she was the one who introduced me to the concept of mindfulness. And it was a very westernized version of mindfulness, which is is fine, but it was it was very basically when when you're not focused on the present moment, your mind is caught up in a memory or projecting the future. And I really resonated with that idea and took that to heart. And although I didn't start a formal practice then and there, I had this idea of mindfulness and and I was able to redirect my attention when, you know, I got caught up in a series of negative thoughts or overwhelming experiences. I was able to redirect my attention to the breath, to the present moment. And that was my first kind of introduction into mindfulness. And so that's, that's how it was introduced to me. But it was, it was years later that I actually started a formal practice. So was it uh, just a follow up question? So did she introduce you to the idea of using your breath or changing your thought? A little bit of both. So it was, it was the idea that, you know, most of us are constantly either living in the past or projecting the future, you know, and, and, and I was like, yes, you know, a lot of my ang- anxious thoughts were about the future for the most part for me. So it was first recognizing that I wasn't being mindful. Then it was, okay, so what are the tools to improve that? You know, and, and the major tool, the one that I work with the most is the breath. So it was that it was a two-part kind of revelation that she helped me discover. And interestingly enough, she was not a meditator or, you know, a breathwork practitioner. She was just, we had explored all different techniques and and ideas and different cognitive behavioral therapies, you know, and we explored the medication route, which I at the time had just decided that that was not for me. So it was kind of like, this was like, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth technique that that we'd gone over. And it was the one that really resonated with me. And she was like, okay, you like this, let's learn more about it. You know? So we actually kind of did some learning together because she, it was still very new for her 10 years ago in therapy. It's, you know, mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy was, was still new. Um, now it's one of the first techniques that most therapists will use, but it, it was still new even 10 years ago. So it was a learning experience for both of us. Yeah. How fortunate too, that you you met her, right? And that she was so open to experimenting with you or having you experiment with what fits you. Because I know in my health coaching practice that if the client doesn't like it, they have have to enjoy it on some level. They are not going to follow through. It's not going to be useful to them nor sustainable. So that's wonderful. And also just speaking to the mind-body connection, I I have never experienced a panic attack, but I certainly have family members and colleagues who've had them once. I'll never forget being at work when a colleague, she rushed herself to the hospital. It was frightening to her because she really did think she was having a heart attack, understandably. Yeah, it really is that powerful. And having gone through that experience, obviously negative at the time, but it was really a beneficial experience in the long run because it it allows me to further connect with the people that I, that I teach. I tend to focus mostly on anxiety when I'm working with meditation. I do do a lot of work with concentration, focus, improving cognitive function, things like that. But I tend to tailor my content 
to target people with anxiety and panic attacks because I know how scary that is and I know how debilitating it can be. And I know that there's also ways to mitigate it. So I'm inspired by my own experience. And that's why, you know, I put so much energy and attention into what I do through my channels, through my podcast, through my courses, things like that. It's very important to me because I was the other person, you know, I was the person on the other side of the screen. So I get it. And, and I'm very passionate about sharing the, the solutions with people because they, they are solutions. Of course, it's not, you know, a, a fix all, you know, one size fits all approach, which I'm sure you understand with, uh, you know, working with the gut bio. It's, it's very similar. You know, there's, there is no fix all, but through these techniques, and I like to think of them as tools, you know, you're, you're building a toolbox essentially through these practices and you'll find the tools that, that work for the specific project, you know, you need, whether it's the hammer or the screwdriver, you know, whether it's the mindfulness or the pranayama, the breath work, you'll find the tool that can, that can really help you with whatever you're looking for. That's so true. I, I had the good fortune. I, that felt like it was an honor of helping actually one of my clients who suffered among other things, but from reflux. And she was literally experiencing it. She could tell she was beginning to experience it when we were on a call. And so we did some breath work and actually some pressure in, in her abdomen. And it immediately disappeared. It was like, yeah. It's almost like magic. It is almost <laughs> like magic. I do say, I, I have a, a thing I say in my writing all the time where it's mindfulness is not magic, but neither is it a coincidence. Right. It's something that it feels like magic once it once it starts to work and once you start to live your life in this more mindful and present way, it it changes the way that you experience everything in life. You know, the mind is the basis of everything we experience and meditation and breath work essentially are the practice of improving the quality of the mind and, and therefore the quality of the life and the experiences and everything that follows. Do you feel overwhelmed with the thought of transforming your health? If the idea of creating a balanced diet, managing stress, and forming new sleep patterns stresses you out, don't worry, I am here to help. As an experienced integrative health coach, I can help you develop signature health strategies that work for your lifestyles and goals. After working with me, my clients have lost weight, improved their sleep, and reversed lifestyle diseases. I'm offering three free strategy sessions before the end of the month. Click the link in the description of this podcast to book yours today. So I'm just going to get a little woo-woo because you said the word magic because yeah. it is, it does feel like ma magic because of that connection. And if you want to talk about it in terms of spirituality or whatever your belief is, I mean, you could also talk about it scientifically, right? Of being energetically connected outside of yourself with that sense of calm. Yes. And I, I like... I like meditation and breath work so much because there is, you can go as, as woo woo, as you call it, or as spiritual as you would like, right. or you can stay as logical and practical as you would like. And it, st it works the same way. You don't need to have beliefs and, or faith 
for the practice to work. You can, and it can influence the practice, but you don't need it. And that's why I think it's just like, I'm so drawn to both of that because I'm, so my, my educational background is it's biology. I'm a, I went to school for marine biology. I have a degree in marine biology. So I, I understand a lot of science and I like reading scientific papers about meditation, but I'm also spiritual. So I, I, it's like the marriage of spirituality and science together. And it's so fascinating to me. And I, I'm so curious about all of the new science that comes out. And then looking back on some of the ancient texts on meditation, it's like, they say the same thing, but, but in a different way. And I find that to be so interesting and, and it just fuels my curiosity and and makes me want to learn even more. And that's another thing I love about these two practices is you can never, there's no point, you don't like end, it never ends. You know, you, you don't reach a point where you no longer need to learn. And there is so much, it's a lifelong practice, both of them. And, and you'll never reach a point where you're like, yeah, you know, I've, I'm done learning about it, you know. That. <laughs> <laughs> I love your Oh, I love the way you said the marriage of science and spirituality. That's a great way of showing the intimacy of the, the I two. Believe, I believe that phrase comes from, I could be wrong, but I believe it comes from a man named Shin Zhang Young, who is a neuroscientist, but also a meditation practitioner. And he has such a fascinating approach to, to that idea of, of, of bringing in both sides and finding where's the common ground for, for people. And because there are, there are teachers out there, like a lot of the, um, a lot of the Buddhist teachers that, that I have learned from are fantastic and amazing. And I love the things that Buddhism has to say. I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but I love the things that that has to say. And and the, the fact that you can extract the wisdom and it's not frowned upon. Like a lot of the Buddhist teachers will tell you outright, you don't need to believe in reincarnation. You don't need to believe in some of the more metaphysical ideologies that are. So you don't need that. You you can, and they're, and they're happy to teach that. But it really boils down to the, the practical and logical teachings that have been extracted from, from their very important religion. And, and I love to see people like Shin Zen Young and a lot of these more so like Western teachers marrying those philosophies without losing. You know, I think it's important that these aren't people who are, who are appropriating things, only the things they want from religions and then kind of whitewashing it. It's not like that in, in this space of mental fitness, if you call it. It's very much so you can take the pieces that work for you in your life because not all of the pieces will fit into the puzzle that is yourself. It's finding the ones that you need. And I really appreciate that about the meditation community, about the breathwork community. It's, it's very open source. Here's everything. And you know, what, what works for you works for you. And that's, I love that approach. That's interesting to hear. So when you were learning or developing your practice, you studied with a variety of practitioners, whether that was Zen meditation which I used to do years ago, I found that for me, that was really, I really liked meditating with the group and the whole ritual of it. That was very helpful for me, actually. (laughs) And the way I had to sit. When I was first learning, it was, I would take advice or do guided practice with, with literally anyone. I've practiced with people who I've had met out at a restaurant and sitting at the bar and they say, Hey, I teach meditation. I say, Hey, let's, you know, I would love to. So I've had interactions like that. 
I've had in-person teachings from some local meditation instructors here out in California. I've done most of my learning through virtual, so guided meditations and, and guided virtual retreats and things with a whole variety of, of disciplines, Zen Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism. I love Vipassana, which is insight meditation, Metta, which is loving kindness meditation. I've done a lot of work with Shinzen Young and his virtual programs. His approach is, uh, he calls it the science of enlightenment, you know, so he'd, he kind of takes a more scientific approach. I've done a lot of the Western practices like the Calm app, Headspace, all of those things. I've done a lot of traditional Pasana practices with, there's two Australian Buddhist nuns who I absolutely love. Their names are Jayasara and Jitidriya, and their their voices are just so tantalizing and their their wisdom is so deep. So I I pull from everywhere. That's one of the things that I think makes what I'm trying to do helpful to people is because I've pulled from so many different disciplines and techniques and protocols and and background cultural backgrounds that I have a strong baseline in everything and I'm a master in nothing. So and and I think that that makes it applicable to people who are just starting out because I can sit with someone for 10 minutes and lead them through a basic mindfulness meditation. And based on the conversation we have afterwards, I can say, okay, you know, I think maybe, maybe a more strict, you know, Zen approach is, is what you need. Or, you know, hey, maybe let's bring in some compassion. Let's do some loving kindness meditation, really cultivate this sense of self-love and, and let's start there. So it's, it's very, it's such a multifaceted tool. People just say meditation, but it's like the difference between, you know, a very strict traditional Zen meditation and like a, um, let's say like a John Cabot Zen, you know, really like westernized mindfulness, loving awareness meditation. Those are very different. Very <laughs> but different, right? But, equally, but very effective, but both very highly effective. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, and that's what's so interesting. So it's like, you know, I think people really, when they're, if they're looking to start down this meditation or, or breathwork journey, you really need a guide. You know, you really need someone who you can practice with either, either in person. If, if you can do in person, please do that. But if you can't, virtual is great too. And you need someone to have conversations with afterwards. And because that's the only way that you can find the technique that works for you. And have some of these really important questions answered. I tell people when we when we meditate at the beginning, you can experience increased anxiety, increased depression, increased panic because all of these emotions are coming up. So I prep people for that. And I think a lot of people who who kind of start the unguided, so say they just download an app and start meditating, that they might feel so uncomfortable in their first few sessions that they never do it again. I think and that I, happens to a lot of people, actually. Yeah, that they go, oh, no, I can't meditate. Yeah, um, yeah. But a, lot of, a lot of my friends, uh, like close friends who I've got, tried to get to meditate, they'll say things like, oh, you know, my mind moves too quickly. You know, I can't, I can't get it to calm down. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, do you think when I sit to meditate, my mind is quiet? I'm thinking like, oh, you know, um, what do I need to do? I'm hungry. I need to eat. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll go scuba diving. You know, it's just like I'm bouncing off the wall. Oh, is anybody's mind quiet? No. <laughs> Isn't that the job of the subconscious? Yeah. It's a really great anecdote about a meditation master and, uh, you know, up in the Himalayan mountains and he comes out of his monastery. He's been meditating for 50 years. He's got guests waiting for him. He comes down. They go, master, how was your meditation? And he goes, ah, 
worst one I've ever had. <laughs> I have a lot to learn. And it really is. It's like that. You know, it's not something that you necessarily get better at. It gets easier to drop into a so-called meditative state, but it's, it, you know, you could still have your worst meditation ever after 50 years of practice. It's, it's not necessarily something that the practice itself doesn't really get that much easier, but it's everything else in your life that gets easier because of the practice. You should have that on. That's, that's a really good one. That the should slogan, be right? someplace. Yeah. Maybe I don't. That, that on your website or your that podcast might be or something. That's a good yeah. one. After everything that you've just said, I'm, I, I think I could answer the question, but I want to hear it from you. But do you have, so what does your daily practice look like? So right now, what I what I'm finding is that 20 minutes a day is is the sweet spot for me. I've done less and I've done more, um, and I think that that's another thing that really you can really benefit from working with like a, a teacher is finding the, the recommended dose, if you will, for for you. And so for me, that's twenty minutes, and right now I'm breaking that up into two sessions. Um, so in the morning, I do a guided meditation because in the morning, our brains. I believe, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I believe it's the theta waves that are really high in the brain when we first wake up. And it causes us to be really susceptible to distraction, um, which is why, number one, meditation is really important in the morning. But number two, it's also very difficult. So I find that a guided practice in the morning for me is the best. And right now I'm working with, I've, like I said, I've worked with every meditation app there is in the, pretty much in the world. My, the one that I love the most is called Waking Up. It's by a neuroscientist named Sam Harris. I'm not affiliated with them or anything like that, but I can send you, if you'd like, Sarah, to include in the show notes, a free month trial. That would be great. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not affiliated with them. It's just a right. really great product that I love. And so I do a guided meditation inside the app in the morning, usually within the first 60 minutes, first hour of waking up. I can't do it right when I wake up because I have a very large, very impatient dog. And uh, he, he needs to go outside as soon as I get out of bed. He will not let me sit and meditate for food. So I, I take him for a walk. Um, I get sunlight in my eyes, which is another really great thing you can do in the morning. And, and then I come back. First thing I do when I come back, 10-minute guided meditation. And then later in the day, usually in the afternoon, I do an unguided meditation. A little more difficult, admittedly. But this is just, there's no prompt. It's just me kind of guiding myself almost. And I typically alternate between two very basic techniques. One's called a focused awareness. That's what uh, other people would call a mindfulness meditation. So that's picking a, an anchor base or like a home base and bringing the full attention there. So I work with the breath predominantly. So I'll bring my full attention to the breath. I'll follow it, inhale, exhale, cover the whole thing with my attention. And then the, the game of the, of the practice is noticing as soon as the attention has wandered into a memory or into a thought and then redirecting it gently back to the breath. And so that's, that's what I will do for my unguided practice. So would an unguided, when you say choosing a focal point and your focal point is the breath, would another, could it be a physical focal point like a candle that's lit or even? Like Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you can also, I really like working with the sensations in the body. So bringing your, the attention to the sensations like of the, of where your body's meeting, whatever's underneath you. So that, that kind of layer of separation and then bringing the attention there, working with sensations in the hands is another good one. Um, you can work with any sense really. Um, I've done meditations working with taste, which is really interesting. 
Um, what you do for that is you take something like a, I've worked with a blueberry before and you put the blueberry in your mouth, but you, you can't chew it. And oh. you just, so your, your, your focus is on the, the mouthfeel, the taste, any sensations associated with that. So that, that's an interesting one. You can work with sight as well. So like a candle, like you mentioned, works really well. Um, you can also, I, I have a bunch of guided meditations on my Instagram where I tell people to close their eyes, but then focus on their visual field. Because when you close your eyes, there's still light, you know, shimmering lights. And so that's another good one to work with. The opposite of the, that would be a focused awareness practice. There's also an open awareness practice which instead of bringing the attention to one specific sense, you open up to the full, there's a great teacher, he, his name is eluding me right now, but he calls it the sensorium. Uh, he, and he, so you're opening up to the full sensorium, as he says. And that's, that's basically stepping back and just observing everything at once, which can sound overwhelming, but you're doing this without judgment, or you're trying to at least. So you're just completely opening up awareness and noticing anything that happens, whether they be thoughts, whether it be sounds, whether it be sensations in the body, and you're trying to take the standpoint of an unbiased observer. You're just observing. You don't need to label or judge anything. You're just observing. And this, granted, an open awareness meditation is, is more difficult, I think, but it's, it's still very beneficial. So I, I try to kind of go between the two, but it depends on where I'm at that day. You know, if, if I'm you know, really distracted, have a lot in my mind. In open awareness meditation, just it might not be happening a bit that challenging. day. A bit challenging. <laughs> um, and then I mix in the, for the breath work. The breath work is is kind of like an as needed for me. I do do some pretty intense breathing every day that I don't recommend to everyone. It's something that I've worked myself up to. It's it's called cyclic hyperventilation and. It's all people may know it as the Wim Hof method. Wim Hof is a really po uh, popular kind of guru type guy, but yeah. it's basically 30 very fast and powerful breaths in. So it would look like 30 times. And then on the 30th exhale, you go into a breath retention. So a breath hold. And there's a lot of, a lot of things going on in that practice. And that's something that I do every day. That's not for everyone. So I wouldn't suggest everybody try and hop into that. But I really suggest people doing things like box breathing every day. Box breathing is an equal part inhale, pause, exhale, pause. So a great place to start is four seconds. So you do a four second inhale, four second suspension, four second exhale, four second suspension. Do that for five or 10 minutes. I did one of those right before this podcast. Um, it's really great for putting yourself in a calm but alert state. So really just kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's for focus and concentration. It's, right. it's used by first responders, Navy SEALs. It's a very well-known and well-used well, well -used breathing exercise. Yeah, and also, actually, it really helps. I recommend that. I'm glad that you validated that for me as the expert because I recommend that to a lot of people or use it myself. It really helps a lot with digestive issues, too. Yeah, so what you're doing when you're, um, when you're breathing in a lot of these patterns is you're stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is also known as the rest and digest, right? Right, right. For anyone listening, if you're, if you're ever in a state of high anxiety, a really simple thing that you can do literally anywhere that can help, I'll, I'll give you two. The first one is just extending your exhales. 
If you're exhaling longer than you're inhaling, that automatically stimulates the, the vagus nerve, which runs down the whole length of the body, and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is, like I said, our rest or digest. It's a really great way to combat the fight or flight system, simply extending the exhales. Nothing, you don't need to do anything else. And then another really great exercise, and I do have videos of this one on Instagram and TikTok. It's called the physiological sigh. This is a godsend for me. It, it works It works so well. And I, I tell this to everyone who tells me they have anxiety. It's very simple. It's a double inhale through the nose mm -hmm. and then an, a, a long extended exhale through the mouth. So the first inhale is a just a normal inhale. And the second one is kind of forceful and forcing all the air in. The science behind this is that inside of our lungs, we have these little air sacs called alveoli and they actually deflate under stress. So they, they tend to curl up. It's natural. It's, this happens to everyone. So throughout the day, they're, they're kind of going through these phases where they're open and, and depressed. But during states of anxiety or, 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 or panic, they, they, they kind of fall flat. And that causes a lot of people the tightness in the chest or the feelings that they can't breathe. So the way to reinflate the sacs is by forcefully taking air into the lungs so that reinflates the sacs, and then the extended exhale stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. I learned this exercise from Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is a phenomenal resource. He's a neuroscientist at Stanford University. Right. He was the one who I learned this from. So I, you know, it's good if if Huberman is 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 promoting it. You know, it's good. He's the best. So I'll do one real quick for anyone that sees this on video. So remember, it's a double inhale through the nose, long extended exhale through the mouth. So normal inhale. Second part, force the air in and then. Oh. And you can do that. You can do it up to 10 minutes if you really want to. But I usually find like five of those is, is just stops a panic attack in its, in its tracks. It's amazing. Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. I think I was just thinking you had you blew out a lot of air, Danny. So I'm just thinking if when you're in the middle, I hold my breath a lot <laughs> when I'm uh, concentrating. Not necessarily anxious, but it could be anxious too. But yeah, that would be a lot of it, and there's not a lot of air in there. <laughs> I have so it, there's two things. I have really large lungs. Okay. I'm not that tall. I'm about six foot one, but. When I went in for my panic attack to the hospital and they were checking my lungs, that's one of the things the doctor says. He was like, why are your lungs so big? <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. And, but another thing is I practice a lot of breath work and the lungs and the diaphragm can actually be strengthened through practice, which is that's something that is very new to the scientific community is the idea that internal organs can be influenced by external things that we do. Um, so you can improve your lung capacity through breath work exercises. And interestingly enough, there's a really old study called the Framing, or not really old, but there's a, there's a really well-referenced study called the Framingham study that was, is the largest study to look at life expectancy. Right. And the number one indicator of life expectancy that they found was lung capacity, interestingly enough. So it's like do maybe doing things to, a, to increase your, your lung capacity can, can be beneficial to your longevity. And that's, that's still a, a kind of under, underserved area of science. It's not, it's not complete fact, but it, there is some evidence to suggest that increasing lung capacity can, can improve your longevity, which we all want. Yes, everybody wants. Well, especially longevity with health.
Mm-hmm. And one would assume you have the health if you can breathe like that, that you're yeah. oxygenating your body like that. Yeah. It's, and it, you know, I've seen it too. in um, watching my grandparents age um, and working with some, some older clients, um, you know, in their seventies and eighties, you can definitely see the decrease in the, in the capacity for, for breath. And, and that can be combated. There's all these great stories in um, the book, uh, Breath by James Nestor, where he talks about these specific mm-hmm. examples of folks who completely, you know, they were on death sentences and they completely, mm-hmm. you know, ended up living to be in their 90s. And, and, you know, you're talking in the 1920s through these these breathing techniques. So it's it's just, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff out there and, and the science is catching up. Um, science, good science takes time, I always tell yeah. people. Yes. That, 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 I read that book, Breath. Yeah, that was one of the most interesting, whoa, stories. I, that was amazing, amazing. Amazing. And of course, nobody listened to him, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it, too radical. It was too unexpected. But it, it did, it did hit the national bestsellers list. And it was recommended to me by one of my family members before I had heard of it. So it did make its rounds. But I think it's one of those things that people read. And it can be a little overwhelming because it's like, now you're telling me I'm breathing wrong out of, you know, and out of all the problems that I have, you know, I thought breathing was something I, I was doing good at. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe right. it can work. <laughs> Although many people have so much difficulty with breathing because asthma has become an epidemic and yes, uh, for a variety of reasons. But, oh, well, that makes me the, the, all these different kinds of breathing and some that are more extreme than others, really more extreme than others. But it makes me think of your your Instagram reel about the cold plunge, which I talk about and a lot about in my workshops, especially now that I'm in the Northeast where a cold plunge is so easy to do <laughs> if you want to try it. <laughs> Although you see in Northern California where I used to live because the water is cold. Sure, yeah. yeah. Because of the stimulation, especially it gives to your vagus nerve, which is great. But but tell me, I mean, you went into a cold plunge for, I, I watched that reel, four minutes for at 47 degrees. Mm-hmm. And you literally felt great. Your dopamine levels were all day for an entire day or daylight hours. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so the, the cold bath is, is it's new to me. It it wasn't a plunge. Yours was a bath because you were in it for so long. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's new. I'm, I'm still, I'm still a novice. Um, I've gone in since that original reel, probably about 15 times since then I have one right in my office. I have to I have to give a quick shout out to uh, we are, uh, one of my affiliates is called Ice Barrel and they they sent me the barrel so thank you Ice Barrel appreciate you guys but so I uh, yeah so I, I go in I don't pick like a t- like I'm gonna hit five minutes today I don't do that I go in and whatever the body tells me I listen and I found that the parallels between the meditation and the breath work it's just it, it fits so well because the first thing that happens when you go in the cold is you lose control of your breath that's the first thing you <gasps> it's the oh, first right. thing yeah, yeah. yeah. so right. so you, you spend the first 90 seconds or so regaining control of the breath then the meditation kicks in because if how closely can i attune to my breath and really just not not really be aware of, of the cold you know so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of it's it, it marries all of the things that i'm interested in you know in this one big barrel of ice water. And, and I, I really, I really enjoy that. There's, 
some incredible science on the cold plunges coming out. Again, Dr. Andrew Huberman, his lab at Stanford publishes some amazing data on this. And I don't have it all memorized, but essentially you're, you're talking about things that happen to your metabolism. Like you're talking about white fat getting transferred into brown fat by going in the cold. Um, you're talking about lowered blood pressure, improved heart rate variability. Um, you're talking about improved circulation and higher T cell count, higher white, white blood cell count. It's just it, the things that it does for the body and the mind. It's just, it seemed to me like I was like, okay, what, what am I doing if I'm not, if I'm not getting in the cold now? So I will say that it is a absolute love-hate relationship. I hate getting in that thing. It's, uh, it's not enjoyable at all. I'm not one of those guys who you know, so, oh yeah, let's do this. I, that is not me. I'm, I'm taking deep breaths, trying to calm myself before I go in. I go in, it's, it's very difficult, but the benefits are undeniable. And I, you know, I, I, I experienced benefits on my first one, which is a lot of times with these different practices, you're talking about, you have to do it for weeks, you know, before you feel anything. I felt it right away. It's just, it's really intense feeling of, of overall well-being and, and clarity and energy it's something that I'm going to incorporate into my daily routine. I'm not there yet. Right now, I'm, tr I'm trying to do 11 minutes a week because the literature that I read, that's, the, that's what they suggested. So I try and hit 11 minutes a week. Like this week, for example, I'm traveling coming up on Wednesday. And I just, I have so much work to do before then that I kind of, you know, I'm cheating on my ice barrel right now. The, there's no water in there. There's no ice. It's empty. It's going to stay empty until I come back from my trip. And, and then I'll begin again, which is another tenant of, of all these practices, just constantly allowing yourself to deviate and then begin again and, and get back into it. But I'm curious, do you think, is there a minimum amount of time? Do you think that you have to be in it so that I guess you've, do you have to stay in it long enough so that you start breathing again to get the value from it, do you think? I think so. This is all anecdotally. Anecdotally. Right, right. No, I understand that. But from your think, personal experience since you've tried it a lot. <laughs> I think just going in, even if you don't stay in, just plunging in has benefits for sure. I think so. The benefits for me come from not pushing myself. I'm not into forcing or pushing myself to do things. That's just not how I operate. I think that what I do is I get in and I, you want to, you want it to be uncomfortable and you really want to get out, but you can safely stay in. That's the threshold you're looking for. And that's generally how I feel at like that 45 degree point. I've done colder and it's, it's fine, but it like, it seems like it's just too, it's too much. Like I, I don't need it to be that cold. You know, some of these, some of these people on, on YouTube and stuff, they're going into like, 30 30 so where the water is circulating so it's not freezing and i just don't that's not me that's not for me so i think that i think the benefits from just going in are twofold number one you're exerting top-down control over the prefrontal cortex right so this part of our brain right here is telling me get out why 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 are we doing this we don't we don't need this and exerting top-down control and just not forcing, but just saying, hey, and like I'm, I'm in control, you know, I'm, we're going to do this and, and the mind will fight back. Mm -hmm. There's great benefit in, in exerting that top-down control and in all aspects of your life. Practicing that builds up that skill. So then it becomes easier to say no to the, um, the, the night out or the, you know, the junk food or whatever it is you're trying to avoid, you know. That's and, so true. That's so true, right? So there's great benefit in that. And then the second one is, 
it's just the the the, the physical the physicality of 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 that jolt of cold water can really just you, you can spike your dopamine i think even just from a, from a little bit but it's also just it energizes right it's mm-hmm. like splashing your face with cold water except you're doing your whole body so i think there's there's great benefit into just hopping in and hopping out uh, absolutely yeah. i don't I don't think people need to, you know, stay in, especially at the beginning. If you're, I don't know why, but why I just thought that for the four minutes, that was my first time. And I just, that's just what I went for. I tuned to the breath and I, that was what was comfortable for me. And I think that everyone kind of, you need to meet the practice where you are and, and the practice will meet you where you are as well. And that's, yeah. So I think starting off, just, just getting in cold water in anything, even putting your hands in cold water, um, your face in cold water can have some, some pretty cool benefits. It's it's interesting. The way I was brought up back in the day before thermal pane windows, you know, there was ice. I grew up in an old house in New Bedford. There'd be ice on all the windows in the morning. And oh, no, we always went to bed with the window open, no matter what the temperature was outside, change the air in the room. But it was, you know, something there was um, there was definitely it was instilled in me. An appreciation for, well, cold somehow is equated to health. Of course, you dress for the weather, but there was definitely a value there that was instilled in me. I'd never thought about it. I haven't thought about it recently until you just talking about it, that that, uh, people who haven't grown up in a cold climate, I mean, of course, it's it would be uncomfortable if you've never experienced it. But it is sort of interesting how there was that folklore back then that like, there was some value to to the cold. There is, and and it's funny. My uh, my business partner Jake was brought up the other day. We we do all the practices together. He's my meditation partner. He's my breathwork partner, and we go in the ice tub together. And he was saying it's so funny how his mom saw that he was doing the cold plunges on Instagram. And she called him and she goes, Jacob, you can't go in that cold water. You're going to get sick. You're going to catch a chill. And she was, she's very worried. And, and it was funny how, you know, we, and I, I remember being a kid, you know, going out and you can't go outside without your jacket, you know, you're, you're gonna, <laughs> and then oh, you look at people like, uh, like that Wim Hof gentleman I mentioned earlier, his whole thing is go out in the cold. He ran, he's a, he's extreme. Like I don't, everybody should be doing going this, but he, bare feet. <laughs> he climbed almost all of Mount Everest in shorts. He ran a half marathon above the Arctic Circle with no shoes. Like he's he he takes it to the extreme, but they've analyzed his body, and he is much more impervious to infection than the average person. And there's also there's a great anecdotal story of this old Russian mystic in the 1930s. His name was Porfiry Ivanov. James Esther touched on his story a little bit in breath, and I've since gone down the rabbit hole. And this is a man who was um, basically. They, they left him for dead and he, he had cancer um, and they told him he was going to die very shortly. And he actually, in an effort to speed up his death because he didn't want to suffer, he started to go outside in Siberia and just pour cold water on himself and lay in the snow. And he this guy lived to be like eight in, in his 80s. You know, he had a whole cult following and, uh, you know, he had these these cold water protocols. And there's a lot of anecdotal stories like that. And there's definitely something we don't understand about the connection between cold and our immune system that I think, you know, in the next 10, 15, maybe 20 years that we, they will be prescribing cold baths to, uh, to patients, you know, of, of all different illnesses. There is something about, so I had a dog until the fall. She 
was almost 19, but she's no longer with me. But of course, I had to get up early and go out with her every morning. And so no matter what the weather, no matter what the weather, there's a great book written by Annabelle Streets called 52 Ways to Walk. And she talks about all the, if you've read it, it's all the scientific benefits. Oh, it's fabulous and benefits to different kinds of walking. But the idea that, you know, oh, I don't want to go out. It's driving rain and it's cold and it's, but not unlike the cold bath is that once I was out there, I was always grateful to be out there. It's like, oh, I love, I mean, it's not really love, but you're experiencing, you know, the rain against my face. Yes. It's not hurting, but just the smells, the everything. It's like, it's, it becomes comfortable. You don't want to go out, but once you're out, I'm glad I'm out. Yeah, that's it's very similar to the to the ice baths and and very similar to meditation as well because in, a lot of times I don't want to sit I, I I almost never want to sit let's let's say that I never <laughs> want to sit hey, who wants to sit and do nothing you know I, but but once I'm there once I'm in it I'm just really grateful and comfortable and 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 when I finish you know and then it's just ah you know I then I, so I it's the same as physical fitness this idea of breath work and meditation it's the same as physical fitness you know i nobody wants to go to the gym you know but once you do once you're there you're thankful you know once you're getting your exercise you're you feel good and then afterwards ah you know i feel accomplished mm-hmm. and i feel you know i feel that i've done something beneficial and i know i've done something beneficial and it's all the same you know we as humans we don't we don't want to do these things that are that are good for us but once you, once we do you know, it feels good. And, and that's, that's a kind of a part of, of starting any of these things is, is going through that process. So I guess it's like any habit, right? You want to find a habit or a practice, a tool that you enjoy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to really want to do it because like, oh, this is, it's not, it doesn't equate with easy necessarily, but you practice it enough. So you know, it is going, it is, not only beneficial, but does make you feel well or joyful or better. Absolutely, not yeah. Like it inflicts pain. No, like, you yeah. Know, you're not going to feel worse at the end right. of it. It's not, yeah. I'm just curious because of your breath work. Did has it made you more aware of the gut microbiome or that that connection or? Yeah. So I I've known about and been interested in in gut health and gut microbiome since I was in college because even though I was studying marine biology you know there's still oh. learned a lot about the the gut health of of marine mammals and and things like that which is very similar to our own mm-hmm. um so I've I have been aware of that and just like just bacteria in general fascinates me because of my biology background and um and then through various people that I've met while doing the podcast, while kind of on this wellness journey, you know, it's become very clear to me that the gut health biome actually has a lot to do with anxiety as well. And then can, so I, yeah, so that, that interests me a lot. And, and I, I've learned a bit from, from, uh, one of my good friends, Candace about that connection. And, and, uh, it's very fascinating to me that we're managing this whole, this whole ecosystem inside of us, you know, and it trillions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all connected to, to how we, how we feel both physically and mentally. It's, it's very fascinating. Yeah. 
it's it's I find it it's like you with your breath work and I find it so fascinating and and the research just keeps informing us more and more about how amazing it is so I want to ask you if you could go back 20 years and give health advice to yourself of course you'd practically be a baby but I'd be, I'd be 30. I hope you're not offended by that. <laughs> it's all relative. What advice would you give to yourself? Actually, you would be a very interesting age back then. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of like 13 year old me. I think the first thing, it took me a while to get a healthy diet and I'm still not perfect, but I think that just kind of instilling in my young self, like, Hey, it's okay to eat a bunch of cheeseburgers because you're young and you're growing and burning a ton of calories. But let's start early and, you know, build up a taste for grilled chicken breast and salads and vegetables. And because it it took me, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was, you know, eating a lot of greens and, you know, eating a lot of vegetables. And I just wasn't interested in that when I was a kid and and I didn't understand the, the importance of it. Um, so I think that would be, that'd be the first thing would be to, to talk about diet with myself. And the second one would be just about taking care of my mind and just how, how, cause I, at that point in my life, I was just beginning sports. So I was physical fitness was always kind of with me through, through high school. I was, I was an athlete. I played, I played sports, but I, the idea of mental fitness didn't exist to me and, and didn't really exist back then. Um, but I think that kind of having that conversation with myself and saying, hey, keeping what's going on up here as strong as, you know, what's going on in, in the arms and the legs, it's just as important, if not more important. And and I don't think I could have convinced my 13-year-old self to meditate, but just to at least be aware of of that and um, and to just be aware of, I luckily, I grew up at the tail end of the no cell phone. So when I was 13, I, I the cell phones didn't really they weren't around, you know, some people had them, but I didn't get one until I was 17. And even back then they were, I had like a tiny little, like, you know, a little slider thing. Um, there was no texting, you know? And though so it's like, I, I, th- I think, I think just paying attention to your attention. That's what I would tell myself, you know, your, our attention is our most valuable asset and, and paying attention to where that attention is going is so important. I, I call that the mental diet these days. And that's when I talk to people, I'm like, well, you, you explain to me, you're feeling, having all these feelings. What's your mental diet like? You know, do you watch the news every day? You know, what? Do, how much time do you spend on social media? You know, what are you on Twitter? Like these are, these are things that are all junk food for our mental diet. It's, and just like any diet, you need balance. You, I don't, I don't expect people to meditate all day and only listen to, you know, educational podcasts by, by no means, you know, I, I'm, I play video games. I watch Netflix. I do all those things, but I balance it. You know, I balance it with a little bit of meditation. I balance it with a lot of reading. I, I balance it. I do listen to a lot of, in, you know, informative podcasts, educational podcasts. I consume a lot of that content. And, and I think that it's, I, that's what I would tell my, my young self, pay attention to what, to what you're paying attention to, you know, play video games and enjoy them, but don't do it every day, all day. You know, when social media comes around, you know, spend some time, but not all your time. And I think that that can resonate even with the 13 year olds of today, you know, especially because they all have cell phones, you know, they're all on, they're all on Instagram. And not that I think that Instagram is an evil thing, but it needs to be balanced and it needs like people need to understand how 
much or <laughs> how easily our attention can be absorbed by these things. And and once that happens, then you start down this slippery slope of where you're getting your dopamine from. And, you know, the brain is, yeah. is you know, you're producing yeah. spikes of dopamine when you're scrolling. And then it's just, it, it's very, once you're, once you're in that, it's very hard to get out of that. Yeah, I think it's just that it's uh, pausing the ability to just pause for a second to, especially for a kid, I used to be a teacher, so to pause mm -hmm. for a second, to notice what what the impact is, what you actually do feel. Like, you know, I know what I feel like that when I watch the news, which I don't watch all the time because of what's on it, but, yeah. but and I, I'll just turn it off, but... Fortunately, now, this is the good news, is that, you know, mindfulness is taught in, well, I want to say a lot, but I don't know if that's really true, but it's taught in elementary schools now. I mean, I was, I was taught, I worked in a school where it was practiced, which was really wonderful for children yep. to learn at such a young age now. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, my uh, my niece, shout out to Ellie, is eight years old, and uh, she does a meditation practice before bed, and it's it's one that I send her. So every so often, I update it, um, and she and she does it, and um, I incorporate, you know, I tailor it specifically for her. She loves monkeys, and she sleeps in a bed with like fifty stuffed monkeys. And oh, that's so sweet. It's time for you and your monkeys to calm down, and we we do some basic breathing, and then a little bit of mindfulness, and she loves it. But yeah, I mean, it's I almost thought about naming my podcast things you don't learn in school it's really just it's 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 mind-blowing to me that even with with the the rigorous science that we have that shows the cognitive improvements the um, the improvements to concentration focus that's the main problem i think and i'm sure you can you have a better insight to this as a former teacher but my, my mom teaches eighth grade english and she's like, my kids won't pay attention to anything i say they don't there is no attention there's no concentration there's no yeah. focus and it's yeah. just, you know, I understand the difficulties of getting children to meditate. I've, I've worked with kids before and, and, and tried, but I think that teaching at an early age, like in kindergarten, you know, first grade, second grade, because then it becomes ingrained, you know, and then it's something that instead of time out, you should have meditation. You know, I think, you know, things like that. So it's just, I, I love to see that transition. I wish it was happening a little quicker, but I think that part of the work that that I do is 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 geared towards you know my work on TikTok mostly resonates with a younger crowd. So I think that trying to get the word out to those to those folks, those younger folks, and just say, hey, your attention is important, and right now the companies are stealing it, and making money from it. You know that's how that's yeah. the, off of what social media is built. They're selling our attention. And that's a good point, Danny. You know, your attention is so important, not only for your own well-being, but also how do you want the planet? How do you want our yeah. society when you think of the impact that your attention has? Yes. And your relationships, too. You know, the people. Every, yes. Yeah. 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 The only, you know, I've, since my meditation practice, since starting, you know, I'm about maybe four and a half years of a daily practice now. The level of like love and attention in my relationships has just skyrocketed. You know, my, my, um, my relationship with my girlfriend is the best it's ever been. My, you know, my close, I have many close friends. I'm very fortunate. And, you know, I find that more so over the past few years, more and more of them are tend to come to me for, 
for the advice and for for whatever just because they can tell i'm listening you know i i I, and i i do listen and i and i empathetically connect with what they're saying and offer genuine compassion and not to toot my own horn that all comes from from the practice you know it's Mm -hmm. that's what it does that's what it does it improves the quality of your mind in such a way that every area of your life improves um as a result that's a great note to end on, but <laughs> it's hard for us to top that one. So thank you so, so very much for sharing um, your journey with with me and, and with people who are listening. Of course. Yeah, it's my pleasure to talk about these things. I could talk about them all day. You know, it's uh, it's my passion and um, it's why I'm here. And, and um, thank you for, for giving me the platform and the opportunity to chat about it. I really enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. And I hope to speak to you again in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Any anytime. I'm always happy to hop on. And I'm sure there's plenty of plenty of topics we could uh we can talk about till till the end of time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be thinking about those. Until next time then. Yes, until next time. Thank you so much. For over 25 years, I was a teacher, and one of my greatest joys in life is seeing people light up when they have an aha moment. It is pure magic. I've now combined teaching with my knowledge of health into live workshops. I teach throughout the country about gut health and how to transform your health. If you'd like to know when I'll be in your city, subscribe to my newsletter in the description of this podcast.